This is the last chapter of Romans, Romans 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the Lord in Sencrea, so you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend, Epinatas, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. And greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send your greetings. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, all greet you. And I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for so long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Now, I'll give her a hand. That was hard, right? <laughs> yeah, when I sent that one out, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, she, I'm, I'm glad I listened. Now I know how to pronounce some of these names. Thank you. All right. So the question is, what do we do with this passage of what I call 
shout outs. Now, y'all know what a shout out is, right? You know, like, he had a long list of shout outs. Him, her, him, her, him, her, my boy, my girl, you know, all that stuff. You know, <laughs> what, what's, what do we do with that? Now, the, the Bible says that all Scripture is, is God-breathed and it's profitable, okay? It's profitable for equipping. It's profitable for our growth. So this is not just a random list of shout-outs. There's something that we can learn from this that will equip us to walk in the Lord. Now, something that's interesting, I remember when I was, um, when I was a missionary in Asia— in that particular country, I, would, I, I did some evangelism and discipleship with some, some college students. And uh, they would have these military drills. And I would, I would see the military drills, and I was talking to uh, my friends, and I'd say, you know, who, partic- who participates in that? And they said, well, everybody. I'm like, everybody? Yeah, like, if you, if, you, if you grow up in this country, you participate in these military drills. Now, I thought, well, man, we probably shouldn't go to war with them. They're ready. What's interesting is their success is contingent on their everyday preparations. Yeah? They weren't currently in a particular war, but they prepared every day through what I'm sure seemed like, why are we doing this? I don't want to do this. I need to go study for this class. They prepared through these everyday preparations. Now, the Bible says that, that we are in a spiritual war. Now, sometimes your life really feels like that, right? Sometimes you're like, oh man, this is, this is hard. But, but what this passage is telling us is that we're not just in a spiritual war when it feels like we're in a spiritual war, okay? What, it, what it's telling us is that, that, that God uses the gospel and the church to destroy the works of Satan. And here's this, the everyday life of the church is what God uses to destroy the works of the devil, The everyday life of the church is what God uses to destroy the works of the devil. Let's ask the Father for some help. Father, I love your word. Help help us to love your word, to cherish it. And by the Spirit, would you teach us? Lord God, we open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you. Would you help us to understand and not only to understand, but also to obey what is written? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what's cool about chapter 16 of Romans is it gives us a glimpse of how the church functioned and how the church related to one another. Now remember, remember, we're not only in a spiritual battle when it feels like we're in a spiritual battle, we're in a spiritual battle every day. And there is a spiritual war that is going on in this seemingly random and insignificant chapter. If you look at verse 20, you could miss it, but if you look at verse 20, Paul writes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So here's the deal. The Lord uses the church to crush the everyday evil works of the enemy. And this is the picture of the ongoing battle. And it doesn't seem that way in the shout-out, so we got to pay a little bit closer attention. So it's like, man, how is the Lord going to crush Satan through the church? How? Because it's like, can, can you give me that? Well, what's interesting is that God uses the relationships and the shared work of the church to crush the work of Satan. 
I want you to see these greetings, these shout-outs. It's not just random greetings and shout-outs, but these are the means through which God crushes the works of the evil one through the church. So let's dig in. We're going to look at verse 1. You can see the church's opposition to evil in the life of Phoebe. Verse 1 says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centraea. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever manner, manner she may require of your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. You're like, what does that have to do with spiritual war? Listen, listen. In first century culture... Women were not respected. They were not dignified. It, matter of fact, in, in Jewish first century culture, the, the word of a woman could not even be used in court. This is a culture that denigrated women. And we can see traces of this, this now, but Jesus flipped the script and he dignified women. So in a culture in which Satan wanted to denigrate, denigrate Half the people in the world, Paul sent a woman to deliver the theological letter of Romans. See, listen, the church saw Phoebe as a trusted carrier of the, of the letter of Romans. And get this, when it says that she is a servant of the church, that is the Greek word diakonos. That's where we get the word deacon. So they saw Phoebe as, as someone who could be trusted to carry this letter. Now listen, if they had questions about what the letter of Romans means, y'all got some questions about that? If they had questions, who were they going to ask? Phoebe. Like, you was there. What did he say? What do you mean when he say that? So, so listen, listen, she, she had a theological acumen. She could explain what the text was saying. And as a deaconess, she was entrusted with long-term responsibility. And you're like, well, how does that destroy the works of the devil? Listen, at that point in time, the devil was oppressing many women through misogyny. And, the, and God through the church said, this woman, we trust her. We trust what she will say. We will send her. Paul says, listen, I love this. He said, listen, he said, you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. So Paul, like, don't get it twisted. I sent her. So you respect her. See, the church dignifies and unifies both genders. And in the text, in this chapter, roughly half of the shout-outs are to women. Our, our church would not function without women. It just wouldn't function. We want, we want, listen, we want to be like Genesis 1, right? He didn't just make man in the image of God, right? He made them both. We want to honor what God honors. That's why at our, at our church we have, we have something called the Prisca team. That's the, to complement the elders. We want to honor what God honors. Now, what, what is another way that, that Satan uses uh, things to divide? Now, Satan often uses money to divide, Right? Right? The scripture says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Listen, listen. What you might miss in this text as well, it says, For indeed she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. What's going on is Paul saying that Phoebe got some, she got some cash, all right? She, she rolling in some stuff, all right? And, and, and Phoebe uses her money not to divide but to be a benefactor of the gospel. She was a wealthy person. Potentially she was a, a businesswoman who used her money to support Paul's missionary work. 
and the church at large. And that seemingly insignificant thing that is God transforming what Satan used for evil as a tool to expand the church. In verse 3, we can see that the church worked together to spread the kingdom of God. Verse 3 says, give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Get that word, co-workers, co-workers. So Satan divides humanity and he brings division. And, and some, y'all, y'all feel this. Sometimes when you're even at work, you got some co-workers, you're like, we're supposed to do the same thing. Why, is, why are you mad at me? Like, we're supposed to have the same goal. You feel division even with, with those you're supposed to feel unified with. Yet Christ unites humanity to work for his glory. Now, what's, what's the mission? That's Matthew 28. He says, go and make disciples. And so in, in Prisca and Aquila, we can see that God united this married couple to work together for the glory of God. He has a lot of shout outs. See, this is why I'm in trouble with the names. Urbanus, Trophenia, Trophosia, Timothy, all are these examples of people whom God has, has gathered from various walks of life and banded them together as co-workers for this great commission work. That's the beautiful thing. In a world that is divided, God uses all types of people from all types of places to accomplish his mission. Now, if that's not an encouragement to our church, I don't know what is. Not only this, look at verse 4, the church suffered together. So he's talking about Prisca and Aquila says, who risked their necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. So if Satan can't divide, he seeks to persecute and discourage God's people. When it gets hard, we're tempted to quit, yeah? If those who got some, some seasoning, you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you know, like when you first started walking, you're like, yay, and then sometimes life got hard, right? And then you're tempted to go, is it worth it? Well, Prisca and Aquila said it is worth it. That no, no matter if I have to suffer, no, no matter if I have to risk my neck, for the mission of Christ, I'm going to endure. Here's, let me let you in a little secret. 2 Timothy 3, 12, it says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, let me tell you something. In the Greek, all means all. Take that to the bank. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yet Christ gives his church strength to suffer and to overcome. We can see this in the life of Prisca and Aquila. We can even see it in verse 7, uh, Andronicus and, and Junia. It says, Greek Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners, fellow prisoners, they are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. See, we have this another example of this ministry couple. They're potentially church planners and potentially eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ, and they suffered for the Lord. How, so so, so how, does, how does God use a church to crush the works of the enemy that when the enemy would persecute and, and make us tempted to quit, he gives us endurance so that we are willing to suffer for the sake of the name. And so, beloved, are you willing to suffer for Christ? When it gets hard, will you give up? Or will you tap into the strength of the Holy Spirit that no matter what happens, I will follow Him? Not only this, we see that, that the church is the new family of God, united together through love. Look at verse 13, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. 
You know, Satan seeks to bring strife, and that, that can even hit our families sometimes, yeah? Yeah. But we see that God creates a new family. What's interesting, if you could miss it, in verse 13, he's like, what's up, Rufus? Say what's up to your mama, but she's my mama too. That's, that's what he said. She's my mama too. Now listen, at the time of the writing of the New Testament, it was not a popular thing to be a Christian. We know that Paul was rejected by many. And it's quite feasible that he was rejected by his own family. Yeah? It's quite feasible that the, the ones who raised their son to be a Pharisee would get kind of mad that he would leave and join this, this new Nazarene way. So maybe Paul didn't have his mother. Maybe his mother wasn't close to him. Maybe his mother didn't like him very much. Yet in the church, in the church, he found a mother. We, we see that God is reconstructing the family through the church. I don't know what your story is. Maybe you got some strained relationship. But in the church, God builds a family. In the church, we have mothers and fathers. In the church, we have sisters and brothers. How does God strengthen the church to overcome the works of Satan? He gives us one another. And we might not be loved other places, but here... We have family. In verse 5, he says, Greet also the church in their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Christ creates loving friendships. That word, my dear friend, that's one word, and it literally means beloved. He's talking about my friend. He's like, the one that I love, my friend whom I love dearly. See, Christ makes it so that the one the ones whom the Lord loves dearly are the ones that we love dearly. I remember on my, short, my first short-term mission in Asia, like God had done some cool stuff, and, and, and it was the last night, and I was about to fly away, and I'm like, I, I thought, I'm probably never going to see none of these people again. And I was sad. It was so sad. But I looked at them, and I said, man, Christ then gave me some brothers. And I don't, I don't know if I'll see them in this life. Oh, man, but I got some family that now lives on the other side of the world, some beloved ones that I will get to see one day. Christ makes these enduring bonds. And there's more. We got Amphilitis and Stachys, they're beloved friends of God. You can find love in the church. See, listen, I think sometimes we have it twisted. Our culture thinks that the highest form of love is romantic love, Right? The high, that's the highest form of love, and people spend their whole life trying to find this romantic love. If that's the highest form of love, Jesus didn't have love. Yeah? He didn't have no wife. But he had a lot of friends. Friends that he loved dearly. Here's the interesting thing. There is a relationship that won't last through eternity, and it's marriage. Jesus said, when the, new, when the resurrection comes, y'all going to be like angels. You're not even going to be married. But listen, here it is. There is one relationship that is going to last. Our friends in Christ. Our friends in Christ. The love of Christian friendship lasts into eternity. Man, how does Christ crush the works of the devil? Through giving us lasting friendships in the church. He abolishes this loneliness. And not only that, 
we can see the church transforms existing relationships. Now, if you, if you pay attention to the letter, he's greeting these churches. He's like, greet the church in their house. Greet the church in their house. Like, what, what, what is going on? And who, who's having church in the house? Now, a household is, is, is a bit different than what we consider a household. When we think about a household, we think like mom and dad, kids. But back in the day, a household was mom and dad, kids, extended family, and the people you worked with. Okay? It, was, it, was, it was a big house, okay? So Satan tries to use existing human groups as tools of evil, right? We can see racism and extreme nationalism. We can see generational sin that gets passed hand and, and, and passed down. Yet God transforms households into churches. God saves people. God saves their families. God saves their co-workers. He takes these existing relationships and he just breathes the life of redemption into them. Listen, listen, your existing roles and relationships are your primary mission field. And I want you to have a vision that God can transform that. Maybe there's strife in your family. Maybe there's, there's, there's some frustration between your co-workers. But guess what? God can take those existing relationships and transform them so that they are a part of the church. Listen, look how many ways. Christ is crushing the head of Satan. And in the, in the, after he gets his shout-outs, he says, hey, man, look, the church has the guard against false doctrines. Verse 17, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. What he's saying is, look, y'all got to protect one another from false teaching. We live in such an individualistic culture that sometimes we'd be afraid to say stuff to people. But he's saying, listen, one of the ways the church protects each other is that when there is false teaching, if something does not match apostolic teaching, we go, wait a minute, I love you. Let me tell you why that's, that's an issue. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think a lot of false teaching in our day, what, what makes it twisted is the emphasis. So when somebody takes something that might be a minor point in the Bible and make it the main point. Now, listen, it's a minor point, so they could find it. They're like, go to verse such and such. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, but like, that's not the main thing. I had a sister one time ask me, she said, why do we say the Apostles' Creed? I said, because I want you to know the main thing. <laughs> if somebody coming at you with stuff that ain't none of this and say that's the main thing, I want you to know that's wrong. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. He says that, that false teachers promote self. So we have to watch out for leaders who are unwilling to sacrifice. And here's the thing you got to get. False teaching sounds good. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering lips. That's why it's tempting. But this is a call to protect one another and also to remember the danger of isolation. Now, he has this, he gives us shout-outs, he gives an encouragement, and then he, he ends with some, some confidence, some confidence that God will accomplish this work. Look at verse 25. It says, Now to him who was able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ." according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages 
but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's, that's, that's a fancy benediction. But what he's saying is, look, look, the God who kept his promises is going to keep his promises. All right. The God who has started your salvation is going to continue. The God who founded the church is going to ensure that the church stands. Listen, he's saying we can have confidence that the only wise God will continue to destroy the works of the devil through the church. I'm going to give you a little bit of biblical theology. You can go back to verse 20, right? When he says, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What he's referencing is actually the first prophetic promise. In Genesis... When Satan deceived Adam and Eve and they sinned, God gave these curses, right? You know, the snake, you're going to be on the ground. Women are going to have labor and, and uncomfortable childbirth. Men, you're going to, try to make, you're going to try to farm, and it's going to be hard, okay? He gives these curses, but he says one thing that is not a curse. In Genesis 3.15, he says, this is God, I will put hostility between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The picture is this, that there is going to be this battle between the child of the woman and Satan. And that Satan's going to do some, some damage. He's going to do some damage. He's going, he's going to bite, bite the foot. Think about venomous. But at the same time, in that attack, that the son of the woman is going to crush the head of Satan. Now think, think for a minute. Who is the son of the woman? Right? There is one, there is one individual who was born of a virgin. There is one individual that throughout his life was attacked by Satan. There is one individual that Satan hated so much that he put him on a cross and he died. But yet that same individual got up three days later and dealt a decisive blow to Satan. Listen, listen, Satan may have, may have bought, bit his feet, might have, might have put some poison in him, but when he rose from the dead, he crushed the head of Satan. So Satan tried to destroy Christ on the cross, yet through his resurrection, he crushed the serpent's head. And he continues this work of victory through the relationships as in the church, as it says in this chapter. So Christ Jesus is seated in heaven. He's alive and well. The Satan, Satan tried to kill him, but he's alive and well. And he continues this work of destroying the demonic through his body, the church. And how? Through these everyday relationships in the church. A lot of times I feel like people, if God told them to do something complicated, they're like, I'd do it. But if God tells us to do something simple, we're like, well, I don't know about that. You want to have a spiritual war? I want you to read these four books. Well, I'm going to read it. We're in a spiritual war. Come to church. Well, <laughs> that, that, but that's, that's what it is. That's the picture in the text. He continues his work of victory through relationships in the church. One of the, one of the, the benefits and, and the pleasures of being a pa pastor is I get to hear a lot of stories. And what's beautiful is, is I get to see that people who were lonely are finding friends. I get to see people who are, have been rejected by family find family. 
I, 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 get, I get to see, see, see people who, who in our world, really, they don't have mothers and fathers, but they find mothers and fathers in the church. And, and we can see that through these everyday relationships that Christ Jesus is declaring his victory. And so the question is this. We live in a culture that, that wants to be a, they want to be a force for good. And everybody's fingers is real active on social media, right? Talking about how, how, how righteous and just they are. Listen, do you want to be a force for good? If yes, you join Christ in his people. You join the movement that will not be crushed. You join the movement that takes ground from the kingdom of the enemy through one relationship at a time. Listen, he didn't fulfill his promises in the past. He going to do that. He going to do that till he comes back. And so you're like, this is kind of like the easiest application ever, right? What, what is the Lord calling us to do from this text? He's calling us to actively participate in the church, to join the spiritual battle. See, that, that sounds like it was like, well, there's, the, there's a fight and Satan's going to get crushed and and I'm telling you to come to church. That, that, that is how it happens. I, I, I'm telling you to, to engage deeply in relationships. Listen, I, I'm calling you to, to get in some, some growth groups. I'm calling you to, to extend some hospitality to people. I'm calling you. Maybe you can come early for some Sunday school. I'm calling you to get involved in the church, not to pat myself on the back, but so that you would join in the spiritual battle. Don't just come and sit, but fight to get involved. Listen, we make sacrifices and put in a lot of effort for a lot of stuff. Yeah? If you want to do something, you make it happen. But yet when it comes to church, we just be like, well, I'm going to sit here until something happens. That does not make any sense. Some of y'all went to a lot of school to get some stuff done. Some of y'all worked a lot of hard hours to get some stuff done. But when it comes to church, you're like, well, when they feel like calling me up there, I'll come. No, no. If you want to join the spiritual battle, you aggressively go and find relationships because you know that is how Christ defeats the enemy. So go and seek this transformative community. Pursue people. When stuff is happening, show up. Because in these seemingly insignificant things, Christ is defeating the enemy. God, in his wisdom, fulfills his purposes in and through the church. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your word. Lord, like I prayed in the beginning, Lord, I pray that we would not only understand it, but by your grace, we would obey. Lord, I pray that you would use our church for much spiritual good. And Lord, I pray that you would use our church to crush the head of Satan in our community. Lord God, would you show your power and would you show your might as you include more and more people into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.